So again, this morning, we, uh, we've done a lot of things this week to kind of focus us on and move us toward uh, what we call Resurrection Sunday. Now, if you're a guest, keep in mind, we really celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. It's, it's part of our celebration. But in thinking about Holy Week and all the things that, that Jesus did as He moved toward that week, uh, some of those things were celebrations uh, with His friends and, and then obviously the sacrifice. Uh, so we're going to wrap that up this morning uh, in our preaching time. And uh, as is typical here, we're going to start that with a song. David, I'm going to need your help again on this one. We're going to need some dancing. Round of applause for David McDonald. Sunday. You guys missed it the first service. All right. Anybody know who that is? Yeah, that was David. <laughs> who let him in here? No. Um, that was Shalimar, second time around. <laughs> At SeaWorld, yes. Uh-huh. That was the that was the second time today that I've heard that song. The second time around, and the in the chorus it says it's better the second time around. And well, I'll, I'll, you guys can go home. You can let me know if that's true or not. But uh, as many of you, if not most of you, know, uh, Easter coincides with the Hebrew celebration of Passover. Uh, by the way, my name is Joel. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. I probably should have said that for those of you who are visiting. Um, so Easter you know, takes place during Passover. Passover was a spring festival, um, which is where they would bring the first fruits of the harvest. The first grains that would come in were the barley harvest, and so they would bring those in, and they would give a portion of that to the temple and that sort of thing. Uh, and, and there's this idea that, that you bring the first uh, because there's going to come more, right? And you're trusting that there's going to come more. Uh, it was also, there's the idea that it's linked to the firstborn son because the firstborn son were considered to be the firstborn of the womb. And for we as Christians, though, we, we celebrate Jesus as the first fruit of resurrection. And Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So Easter is all about these firsts, right? The first fruits and uh, the first fruits not only of harvest, but in, of resurrection. And the idea is that you have this first Easter where the first man is raised from the dead. And then we're going to look forward to the Easter in which we're all raised from the dead, right? And so Jesus was the first to resurrect, and then we're a part of that second wave. And so there's a sense in which, while Easter is about first, it's also looking towards that second time, that second wave of resurrection. So Easter is the season of first that's better the second time around, certainly better for us. 
uh, it's wonderful that Jesus was raised from the dead, but there's a lot of things that Jesus did that we won't ever do. The, the good news is resurrection is one of the things that we're going to get to do as well. And so Easter itself is kind of Passover 2.0, uh, but we're looking forward to sort of the Easter 2.0 where we're all resurrected as well. And the truth is, if, if something's good, you keep coming back for more, right? Hopefully, if those of you who are planning to have Easter dinner you will clean your plate, and then you will go back for seconds, right? And if you don't go back for seconds, you're probably going to offend somebody in your family. Because that sends a message, okay? If something's good, we keep coming back to it. And what's amazing, you know, even growing up in the church, each time I come back to Easter, it's almost as though there's something more to be seen. And that's our hope this morning, is that maybe there's some parts about resurrection and some parts about what the Easter message is that maybe... Uh, you miss the first time around, and that hopefully it will be even better that second time around. So uh, with that in mind, I'd like to welcome to the stage the second speaker of the morning. For the second time preaching this sermon this morning, please put your hands together for our senior pastor, Raymond McDonald. I'm no second banana, that's right. Guys, it's really good to see you here today. I know that you're going to go home and you're going to get into your candy and your confection. But before you get into your confection, we're going to talk about the resurrection. That's right. A little play on words there, but there you go. That's all the plan I'm going to do because what we're going to be talking about today is the Easter message. If you were here at some of my service, I read that straight through and just let, let it fall on you. But to, uh, for today, what we're going to do is we're just going to read through that in the book of John. We're going to read uh, chapter 20 that's there. And we're going to look at those sections and see how those play into this whole idea of the second, in a sense. So in the way that we realize that Easter is the time uh, of first, but we're looking for the second uh, coming on that's even better. So let's pray as we look at John 20 here. I ask you to come, Holy Spirit, that your word would just strongly be moving through this room beyond the written word, beyond the words I read that you're speaking and touching the hearts of your people, people who may not go to this church or any church, but they're your people. And we're asking you to reach out, that you see us like sheep on a hillside, Heavenly Father, who need your compassion because we're being harassed by an enemy, hunted down. But you've come today to save us, Lord God, and to give us this freedom that you say peace, and peace be with us all here as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He is risen. Risen indeed, that is exactly right. So let's talk about this story that is there, reminding you that Jesus has been crucified at this point and on Friday evening was laid in a grave that was hewn out of a stone uh, of, of rock and that he was placed there. It was a new grave that he had been put into. And so he's been there waiting until the time that others could come and give him anointing in a sense because he didn't get a proper burial to some. They wanted to give him more uh, of a burial by putting spices in those days. You certainly didn't embalm. Jews still do not embalm. Uh, they use spices and they were put into this rock in order to... Uh, decay naturally, at which time bones are put in a box called an ossuary, and that's the way it would be done. A stone would be removed, body would be put in, and then the stone would be put back. I want you to rem remember this in the story. 
At this point here, Jesus has already been placed in that grave, and a large stone, which would look like a wheel, would have been rolled over in front of that mouth of that cave, as it were, and there was Roman centurions or guards placed there in order to make sure no one came in and stole the body and began to start some rumor that he had been resurrected. So at this point here, his beloved friend Mary has come to see him. So we will pick that up in chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Now, this morning we've already sang several songs about the stone being rolled away and all these ideas that's here. But I want you to capture this idea that Mary, of all the things she hoped to see, it wasn't this one. She hoped to get someone to remove the rock. Other gospels tell us who will remove the stone that we might go in and address the body. But she comes and finds that the stone is rolled away. I'm sure she might have been happy at first. But going in, she sees no body. So she goes back and tells Simon Peter and the other disciple, which we know to be John. He refers to himself as the other disciple, often as the beloved disciple, and later as the fastest disciple. So as we go in here, not by name, but... So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Any competitors right here? That's a ghosty. Raise your hand. You are the beloved disciple, right? The one who's going to make sure you're first. He bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Those strips of linen were wrapped around a body, a dead body, in order to put the spices in. And they look in and see that those strips of linen have been removed from the body, as well as a headband that would have been on it. Then Simon Peter came along beside him and went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen, which made him believe, number one, that, you know, someone had unwrapped the body and that had left it in disarray. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside, and he saw and he believed they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. He believed. What did he believe? I'm not really sure because they didn't understand about resurrection that it had to happen. He certainly believed that Jesus was missing and Jesus had spoken about resurrection. Perhaps he was believing strongly now that Jesus had been resurrected. But let's talk a little bit about this picture that is here. Uh, others, uh, commentarians have said this about this little narrative. They've said, you know, it's, it's, uh, John will always beat Peter to the tomb because passion always outruns curiosity. And uh, so we love that because I'm a very passionate guy, and I don't care. I don't care. You can start telling me all the details I'm not hearing. I'm a high eye on the disc. I don't, oh, good, that's good. I'm glad you got the details. I'm very passionate. But the problem about passion, which lacks curiosity often, is that we can go and make commitments in our life that are by passion and never go fully into the very faith that we say that we have. That for John, he goes and stops it. He sees a little bit, but he doesn't go all the way in. Peter going all the way in generally brings John with him. I want you to think of our own lives that are here. Maybe some of you have come to that place in your life where at, in your youth, maybe you're in some smashing youth group where you had this great youth pastor. Thank you very much if you're here. But, uh, you know, 
and you were saved, and it was great. But you never really dealt with issues of what you really believed. You just knew passionately that you loved Jesus. But when you begin to hit things like death and financial disorder, uh, illnesses, that, that didn't buoy you up when you were challenged because you didn't understand anything deeper than I just love him. And you begin to doubt he loved you because you didn't understand the depth of it. My, my point today in this here is to say, Easter is a time to take a second look at your faith. Each Easter, we come in and say, do I really know Jesus? And I was, I was kidding uh, Heath earlier because I called this uh, a happy uh, Keith Hemper Day. Because, uh, Hemper Day because, uh, you know, I only see him at Easter because he works out of town and stuff. But the point is, is that this is a day that many of us come who aren't normally able to come or are coming to church. And so we, we come because we love our family, Right? We want to come and celebrate Jesus in this way. But today is a day to sit back and go, what is it that I really do know about Jesus? Might I look a little further into the tomb? Might I understand this here, that that body wasn't stolen? He wasn't in there. She didn't know where he was at. No one knew where it was at. The body was gone. And that that isn't a thing of faith, actually. That's just a thing of fact. And we sit back and we can process some things in that. That only leads us to deeper things that begin to move in Christianity because many times we come to church and we love Jesus, we love worship, but we stop at that point and don't go all the way in. It's similar to this here when we see in 1 Peter. Peter says this here in 1 Peter 2, too. He says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This initial taste, as the psalmist would say, taste and see that the Lord is good. We've tasted a little bit. But like babies, we're craving the pure spiritual milk. Hebrews goes on and said, you've had enough milk, it's time for solid food. And he really gets on us. This point of growth is important in our life. And it starts with, what do I really know? Am I curious enough to say, hey, I love Jesus because I love the people that come around Jesus. I love, the, I love this, I love that. But do I understand enough that, that pulls me curiously further into that relationship with Jesus. Well, there's our first second there, taking the second look. And I think all of us this Easter maybe might look at the second look. Let's move forward and see what else happens. Mary stood outside the tomb, and she's crying. As she wept, she bent down over to look into the tomb. Everybody's looking into the tomb these days. It's a thing that all the kids are doing it. And she sees two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One's at the head, the other one's at the foot. And they're going to say something that would get you slapped in today's world. Woman, why are you crying? Yeah, that'd get you knocked back today. You can't even say that. You'll get arrested or something. You'll get fined, fired. They've taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they've put him. Listen to her pain. She loves Jesus. Where is he? Where did you put him? At that, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her again the question, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, 
And she turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now today, as we look at Mary, we can often miss some of these little things that are here. First of all, Mary was looking for Jesus, and she wanted to see Jesus because she wanted to do for Jesus what she had in her heart to do for Jesus. The only problem was Jesus wasn't where he was supposed to be. And then when she runs into Jesus and tries to do for Jesus the things she wanted to do, she doesn't even realize who she's talking to. He's trying to talk to her. And she thinks he's someone else, a gardener. And, and then when she does realize it's him, she grabs hold of him and tries to ground him in place so she can do for him and do to him, co-opt basically him for what her purposes were. And, and he's like, no, man, you're going to go tell other people. Go tell other people what's going on. Why is this so important for us today in this way? Well, Easter is a time to take a second to rethink who Jesus really is in his place in my life. Is the Jesus that I take a second look at really the Jesus that exists? Have I created a Jesus, my own personal Jesus? And some of you love that song. I like Johnny Cash's version best. But all that's saying is that we've created or co-opted Jesus for the program we have for our life. I love Jesus because Jesus helps me not drink, helps me not smoke, and helps my kids to be better kids. Those are good Jesus points. But they're not all Jesus is. And matter of fact, there's a lot of people who drink and smoke and have bad kids who do love Jesus, and he knows them. I don't know who that is because I don't smoke. But in that... I'm trying to say that often we miss Jesus because we have an idea of who he is and what he's doing in our life and what our life is about. We're not willing for him to speak into our life. Mainly, I would say this here. Often we want to take hold of Jesus, and maybe we need to stop and let Jesus take hold of us, what he's called us to be. Take hold of us to move us into the life he's called for us. Jesus, I really, I, Jesus, need you to help me get on. I, I really like that girl over there, Jesus. If you love me, you'll give me that girl over there. And he, he, he often will say, I'll get you that girl over there, but it ain't because I love you. It's because I'm tired of you nagging me, but good luck with that one. So, I mean, th the point is, is Jesus isn't always who we think he is in our lives, okay? The historical Jesus, maybe. But Jesus is moving and active and alive today. He is risen. He's not hanging on a cross anymore. He's not in a grave. He's not just paid for your sins so you can go to heaven and forget about this world. He's moving and active in the, this world today, this world's church, this world's politics. He's active in every element of our life that is there. And often we have a program, we have a party, we have whatever we may have, and this is where Jesus stands, and Jesus doesn't sit on the left, and Jesus doesn't sit on the right. Jesus sits in the cockpit, and he flies the plane, man. And today we say this Easter, Jesus, tell me what you want me to do. Give me my marching orders. I'm looking again. I've noticed that you are resurrected. I've noticed it is about resurrection, not just betterment. It's about my life becoming new in life again.
You see, Paul puts it this way in Philippians. He says this here. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. Because you can't resurrect if you're not willing to die. And so somehow attaining to this resurrection from the dead. Dying to myself, my needs co-opting my Lord and making him something. And letting him bring resurrection to me. It says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heaven, word in Christ Jesus. He has called me, and I want to know what that is. I want to know what that is, and I want that. Don't you this morning? Let's take a second thought, if you will, of Jesus. Let's ponder him. Let's not say, that's my, I've already figured out Jesus. That ain't Jesus. Jesus would never ask me. Well, let's stop and let's listen to Jesus. The next thing we see here is on the evening of the first day of the week, we got to the night time, and the night time ain't no good time, but it's my time. All right, here we go. When the disciples were together with the doors locked because they're fearing the Jewish leaders. Why? Because the, the Jewish leaders just got Jesus knocked off. They're Jesus' followers. They ought to be afraid. They got the doors locked. Fear in their life. They've shut themselves away from the life that Jesus has for them. Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And if I could say anything this Easter that might really turn some lives around, it's peace be with you. You're behind a locked door today. You've shut that door. You're in fear. Peace be with you. I want you to know Jesus walks through locked doors. He's going to walk through the locked door of your life today. You just let him. Just call him in. He knows you can't unlock that door. He knows you ain't got it in you to unlock that door. I've been there. My prayer was, I don't even know how to get back to you, but I've never been loved like I have been loved by you. I don't know how to get, I don't even want to get there because I really want to be famous. I really want to play that guitar, and I really want a bunch of girls following me around the country. And one did, and I married her. But the, 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 um, the point was, he just kept, he came through the locked door of my life. And he coming through your locked door today. He said, peace be with you. And he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Man, I love that. As a father sent me, I'm sending you. What? Yeah, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on him. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Second breath. The second breath at Easter. It gives that breath of life. Wow, I need that breath. Have I received the Holy Spirit? You betcha. But John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, said this here. But we leak, guys. We leak. I need that second breath. Breathe on me, breath of God. Look what he attaches this receiving to. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. He attaches this receiving of the Holy Spirit and that second breath to what? 
forgiveness. You can't forgive others if you can't receive the forgiveness. He's given the forgiveness. That's what we blessed you with here in the communion hour. Receive the forgiveness that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ so that you might do as he was sent, give away forgiveness to others. To give it away to others so that the spirit might roll through you because I will tell you, Unforgiveness leads to bitterness, and, un and bitterness is a cancerous spiritual tumor that sits in the life that does not allow the Spirit to flow through you. And even when the Spirit's moving, often you'll twist it so bad that others won't even realize it is the Spirit. You'll just be heightened bitterness. We need the Holy Spirit to forgive, and we need the Holy Spirit in our Christian faith. And if all you got is some didactic ideas and some apologetics and you don't have the spirit in you, it won't be that people won't see that love, that forgiveness. Well, let it be demonstrated now in the rest of this narrative. Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. Which was Thomas's way of saying, I'm not believing you. You would have to move the world. It's like the eagles. We'll go on tour when hell freezes over. Well, they went on tour. And then they went on tour again, and they went on tour again. Half of them died, and they're still going on tour. The point is, we often say things we regret. Because a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And, through the, and though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Oh, here he comes behind him. Them locked doors, Chris. He, he come on in the door when you don't expect him. You done talk, bad-mouthed him, and he's still coming up in the door. I'll never forget when, right before the first time the Holy Spirit really touched my life, I said, I don't know why these people are weird like this. Why did you put me in this church? But don't touch me like that because I'm a Texan. That's what I said. And I said, but if that's what you want to do, go ahead and do it. He came in that locked door and touched my life powerfully. Just give him an inch. Say, I'm open to you. You don't need no one here badgering you. You don't need anyone badgering you trying to Run it down you because I could I I could argue you into Christianity, and then someone else could argue you right out of it. The Holy Spirit is coming and moving and touching hearts this Easter, breathing on you, talking about forgiveness, demonstrating forgiveness. Thomas has said, "I don't want any." He wasn't even there when it came, and now here it is. The Lord has come for who? Who has the Lord come to? Thomas. The one who said, I won't, I won't even believe. Okay, I'm coming. I'm coming next week, and I'm going to visit you. Sounds a little like Santa Claus, but in this sense, he is the real one. He is the one who gives life. And this is what he says. Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Meaning, is this what you really need to do to believe? I'll give it to you. But then he says this here. 
My Lord, my God, Thomas says, and Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's many of us here. Many of us have believed Jesus Christ and given our lives to him and went through those struggles and still go in those struggles. You've never seen him. Maybe you've never had a powerful experience with him. But you believe in him. Well, I want to remind you here today. Easter is a time to take a second chance on forgiveness. It's a second chance to come in and say, I will try forgiveness. I believe you'll forgive me. I was raised by a wonderful stepfather. He raised me since I was five. Now, we did not have the kind of family where we touched. We did not have the kind of family where we held hands or anything of that nature. Um, we were loved, but it wasn't that kind of home. But I'll never forget, we boys was pretty wild, Bobby and I and our other brother Billy. And I'll never forget going and sitting at the foot of my stepfather's easy chair. And he generally would have it kicked back his feet up. And we would kind of kneel down and he'd give us a talking to. What, what do you want to do about this? What do you think we should do about this? And you know I'd say every time. Um, about a second chance. And he always said you always had a second chance. And you knew where you were going. And it wasn't good. And it was awful. It's the way we did discipline in those days. That's not your father in heaven. He's not doing that. You can come to the foot of his chair. You can come to his feet. He's got second chances. Thirds and fourths and fifths and sixths and sevenths. He loves you. And this Easter, I want you to understand, it's time to give that forgiveness a second chance. And it's time to give the forgiveness of your earthly fathers a second chance of forgiving those who've done things to you. Because the Spirit moving in you can allow you to forgive those you thought you never could. So the Spirit can begin to flow this Easter, the news, the second time around, to be all the better. Your life didn't just end when you came down the aisle to the third stanza of just as I am and gave your life to Jesus. That was the first kiss. My wife, my first kiss, I'll never forget it. But I sure am glad there have been a lot more since. Because what comes is better. Paul would write in Ephesians 1, In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sin. Do you understand that's a pretty strong blood Jesus got? I don't know what you've created that can't, that he can't cover that. But you, you understand he can. And he does. And you have to receive. You can't, well, that's good. I understand he forgives other people. But I should have known better. Well, you should have. But don't be arrogant. Others should have known better too. You have to receive that which he's given. And it means saying that I've sinned. It says, He's given us forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace he lavished on us. 
And if you move down to verse 13, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance into the redemption of those who are in God's possession, meaning that second coming. The Spirit has sealed you in redeem with a seal of redemption. I'm here showing you that you know me. Showing you. When I married my wife, she had three children. The Lord called me to that. I was very concerned because I was going to be a preacher. And marrying someone who was already married was very scary. And I felt the Lord call me to that. And it didn't hurt. She was gorgeous. So, but the point being, I'll never forget our third child still lived with her father. And when she would come visit the house, she was as disruptive and mean as could be. Now, some of you fathers are going, mm-hmm, oh, yeah. But the father said, if you ever get spanked, call me. I'll call 911, and you'll never go back. So for me, it was a lot of sucking it up. And so I just found ways to be mean to let her know that I wasn't to be trifled with. And one day the Lord said to me, you cannot discipline her because you do not love her. I said, I do not love her because she destroys my household, Lord. She's from the enemy. And the Lord said to me, he just began to show me how he had loved me. And I said, Lord, if you would give me a heart for her, I could love her. And the next day, my life changed with my love for my daughter, Cassie. I already had Carrie, who's here. I love her very much. What a pleasure and delight she is and all my daughters. But at that point, she didn't change. She still hated me. She hated me and was rude to me. But I just kept loving as Jesus had loved me. And one day, it was just her and I over the summer. Everyone all, was off on mission trips, but her and I. And she started crying. I said, you miss your daddy? And she said, yeah. I said, well, let's write him a letter. And I sat with her and helped her script a letter to her father, telling him how much she missed him, how much she loved him. And something happened from that day forward. She called me daddy. She knew I loved her enough that I was willing to chance my relationship to lay down any competitive spirit I may have with her father. And I will tell you, only God can do that through a man who's already wounded and trying to prove himself. And I thank him for that. And I think he showed me about forgiveness and continues to teach me. Well, we end with Jesus performing many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But there are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But these miracles that John has have been written that you may believe that he's the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by, by leaving you may have life in his name. Now, two things here, and I'm getting this clean here because I know you got an Easter egg, huh? One, 
Signs and wonders were part of Jesus demonstrating the kingdom of God as it is in heaven, coming in on earth, and what it will be like at the end of all time when he returns. You won't be sick anymore. You won't have twisted ankles and bum knees. You won't have pain and sorrow, mental defect, or whatever goes on in our lives. And when Jesus came, he was saying, let the kingdom come. Boom! You can see now. Let the kingdom come. Boom! You can hear now. You can walk now. Go. Sin no more. Pick up your mat. Go home. No more leprosy. No more runny sores, as we talked about last week. Yes, that was the curse that David laid out. Now, in all these things, Jesus was demonstrating what the kingdom's going to look like in totality on the second helping, the second coming. The great thing about that, those things haven't stopped since he left. What he said, I'm sending you as I was sent. And then the vineyard we believe powerfully in the prayer for the body that heals the body, not just so we can get back and go, woohoo, but because we can see the second coming now. A deposit guaranteeing that he's coming and here. And we practice praying for the sick. We practice praying for the heartbroken because we believe that this demonstrates what believers do. We lay hands on it because that's what they did in the Bible. You don't have to. When someone says, hey, can you pray for me? We don't say, well, yeah, I'll get with you. We, well, let me do it right now. And I've stood next to people and been part of it myself to see the healing of God on lives, to see miracles happen. I've told often of the horse uh, that was healed in the church uh, the, the first year of our existence. A, a doctor came and his wife said her, her granddaughter's horse was dying, so we prayed for the horse. Though uh, Joel's father, who's a psychiatrist, said, no, we're not praying for the horse. But I kept coming back and praying for the horse. The next day I got a call from the stables or, or from the woman who went to the stables. The horse was completely healed of rhinoencephalitis. So the only problem was I, I don't have enough stage to run him across the stage and say, he's healed, you see. We couldn't get the horse up here and do that. Often our problems with signs and wonders are not that we can't believe it, but the way people react when they see it. It's natural, naturally supernatural. We don't have to make a show. We can get excited as we want. I want this Easter for you to think about his signs and wonders. And I want you also think about this here, that you may have life in his name. Because the supernatural part of Jesus demonstrating these things is totally brought into consummation in this way, that I receive him and born again into a new life. That healing of the old coming into the new. That Nicodemus, or Nick at night, as we call it, comes to Jesus asking, you know, how can I, how can I have this salvation? A leader of the Pharisees. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time in their mother's womb to be born, Jesus answered. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Meaning, born again. You were born of water when your mother, born in the Spirit. Something new, something different. By the way, that means taking it from the top, starting over the second time. 
Easter is a time to take a second look, a second to be reborn, to come and get that spring fever in me. And maybe it's the first time, second time, I don't care, that you come and rebirth me, get in me, bring alive the things that have died, that childlike spirit in me It says, yes, Lord, I, be- I remember when I believed you did signs and wonders. I remember when I believed you did these things. I want to this Easter say, Give me birth again. I'm climbing back up and saying, come on, Lord, give me birth. And for some of us, we've never given our life to Jesus. We've never said yes to him. We didn't understand this whole thing of of him giving me life, forgiving me, giving me another chance. Well, this is Easter. And I don't care if you've never said yes to him and never said, Jesus, come into my life. I give you my life today. And if you've not, say that. I want your life, Jesus. And come to know the Savior who gives you eternal life. Maybe you've said it a million times. I don't care, but my point today is that this Easter, that you're reborn again into the the joy of his kingdom. Would you come now, Spirit, and move upon us? God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't have to die, but would live forever. He didn't send him to judge us. That we might have life through him. Would you stand with me now? As we close this Easter morning, we say he is risen. And we've come to take a second look. We've come to rethink that second thought of him, basically. We've come to give a second chance on forgiveness. And we've come to take a second to be reborn. To renew our mind in every way. When Jesus comes again, guys, his first coming was fantastic. But the second will be even greater. Because we all will be called up with him. Hebrews 9.28 says, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. That is our Easter thing. Maranatha. I'm waiting on him. Come and move today. I invite the ministry team to come down because as they come down, they're going to be here to pray for you, not because we're trying to create anything, but to be here to pray for anything you want. But in specific, these issues of knowing him and giving your life to him Forgiveness and for bodily pain that is robbing you. Grief that is destroying you. Maybe a second chance at being a good father, a good husband, a good mother, a good wife. He is the Lord of these second chances. And Easter demonstrates that. So I invite you down as I'm going to bless you and close that these will be standing here with you to pray with you. And I want to thank you once again for coming and being with us here at the Vineyard. It means so much that this is your home or this is where you chose to visit. May your families be blessed as they go home to remember the purpose of this day of resurrection, rebirth, renewal. I bless you in the name of the Father. May you cause your face to shine upon them, Father. May they experience you just looking at them. Feel it, Lord. 
And I bless you in the name of the Son who's beckoning you, saying, yes, I've paid that price. Don't stand outside the pale of the firelight looking in. Come up to the crowd. Come up to the fire and taste the Lord is good. The acceptance that comes in Christ Jesus. And I bless you in the name of the Holy Spirit who is breathing on you, hovering over you as in the beginning of time, giving birth in the middle of chaos, healing, bringing about forgiveness, bringing about healing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you so much.